Hello, everyone. My name is Jimmy. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central. And uh, I don't know about you, but I've really been enjoying this series in Acts, and partly because of its passion and reminder to us of how much God loves the church. And as we continue to hear the messages throughout this series, I hope that you'll remember why we do what we do and why we gather and do things that we just did right here in membership. As I start today, I want to begin by, first of all, asking you a question. And the question is, is Jesus a good shepherd? I know when I ask that, I'm not asking you uh, to ask about what the Bible says about Jesus in that reference, or if you've ever heard a message about Jesus being a good shepherd. What I mean is to you, is Jesus a good shepherd? Is he someone who's been there for you, present with you? Has he been able to offer you the guidance and love and care? Or have you wondered at times, where is he? Does he know what I'm going through? Does he care? If we're honest, every Christian at some point has asked themselves these type of questions or similar ones. It is because we sometimes long for the experience of knowing something to be true and to experience that every day, even today. How we answer this question about who Jesus is as a good shepherd says a lot about the ministry of the church, but to be fair, also says a lot about the culture we live in and the challenges we face today to live out our faith as believers. In my time as a pastor for the past 30 plus years, I've wondered about many things. But one of the things that I struggled with, and I see my church struggle with, the church that I ministered to as a pastor, is a chasm between what we believe and how we live. And more specifically, the very person we believe in and the very particular time that we invest into that relationship with him so that we might live as he lived and have his joy in us. According to the scriptures, may I proclaim to you as a teacher of God's word that Jesus is declared as the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the incredible God who became man, took on human flesh to be our Savior, and we call him the Messiah, a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy of the coming one, the one whom God would send to be our Savior. He died for our sins on the cross. He was buried, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. And after 40 days of, in his, of bearing witness of his resurrected body, he bore witness of his resurrection to over 500 people at the same time. And then he ascended to heaven. He sent his Holy Spirit, whom he called another comforter, a helper, just like him, to be with us and to live in us. He gave us the prophets, the apostles, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to lead and teach the church. And one future day, he promised that he, as our good shepherd, shall return to take us home. If you believe this, can we hear each other say amen? Amen. All of this is true about Jesus, what he's done, who he is as our Lord and our Savior. He's the most important person in our lives. I know I've said that. I've, I've heard many other Christians testify to this. But the question lingers is, then why don't we spend daily time with him? 
Why are we not drawn to him as we are drawn to sports or social media or the very things that we love and enjoy in life? Why do we miss worship, sometimes weeks at a time? And why is he left out of our busy lives? This amazing almighty God who created the entire universe, who saved us by sending his own son, who gives us access into his presence whenever we want, how as long as we want, and as often as we want. And in my humble opinion, I think it's because somewhere in our heart, somewhere in our mind, in our daily living, he's just not that person. Because in times of moment and need, do we go to him first or do we go to him last? Is he really a part, so important, that he's part of our daily life as a necessity? Now, he was that very good shepherd who died on the cross for our sins, yes. But today in our life, when you have to choose who gets time with you, who gets your attention, is he that good shepherd that you need, that you go to, you remember, and you can't live a day without? In Acts 20, the Apostle Paul calls the elders of the Ephesian church in verse 28 to pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock of God, to the flock in which the Holy Spirit of God has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. That is a passionate plea to care for the very people who were purchased by the blood of Jesus. Paul believed that he would not see these elders again. And so instead of remembering the time that they had spent, and instead of sharing a meal, a drink, and just a fond farewell, he calls the elders of the Ephesian church to Miletus, a 30-mile journey. And he has a last conversation with them, and it's about the flock of God. He pleads with them to pay careful attention, to care for the church, and warns them of the coming wolves both inside and outside the church that will come and attack the flock of God and lead the people astray from following after their good shepherd. Paul then commends them, entrusts them to divine care and the guidance by commending them to God and the word of his grace. It is the reference to the gospel that was going to constantly be challenged in their culture and in their time and ours as well, where every attack sent by the enemy comes to attack the truth, the beauty, and the freedom of the gospel. Paul also mentioned an example in verses 33 and 34 that he coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. And he says, you yourselves know how these hands have ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. Paul was not doing ministry for gain or for fame. That is clear. In fact, the Holy Spirit in this passage, just before the text that we read, instructed Paul and reminded him that in every city, especially Jerusalem, as he entered it, he would face what is assured is simply imprisonment and affliction. And so he reminds the elders of the church that by his example, that they too were to love, care, and serve the church with a similar heart. And Paul concludes his heartfelt exhortation and warning by, the, by reminding the elders how Paul had labored daily and how the elders too, along with Paul in verse 38, must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive.
What I see here in Acts 20, I see the good shepherd who loves his sheep, reminding his under-shepherds, the elders, to be his hands and his feet, to care and love and protect the sheep on his behalf, and to do this with his heart for them, which he demonstrated on the cross. A perfect savior sending imperfect under-shepherds to care for his beloved, all with the help of God's Holy Spirit. Our good shepherd loves us. This we know for a fact. He demonstrated it on the cross. And out of his love and care, he established the structure of shepherds, pastors and elders, to care on his behalf, to be the extension of his hands and feet, and incense his mouth to speak the truth to his people. But there's some hindrances that we face, and it keeps us from experiencing and living out this wonderful plan that God had to care for his people. And some of the hindrances I would like to just point out, one is our culture. In our culture, and I mean that of the church and maybe even in a sense a broader culture, is that we want intimacy and love, but not at the cost of my freedom and privacy. And there's a tension. I want to be cared for, but don't interfere with my life. I want you to come close, but not too close. And there's a resistance to authority. I don't know if you really remember the vows that the members, members just took, but they, they covenanted and, and, and vowed that they would submit themselves to the governing authority of the church and to discipline. And I want to tell you that when we try to address issues of of sin or, or correction or loving care, it is one of the most challenging things. It is a culture that is resistant in some sense because we want our own space and freedom, yet we want to be cared for and looked after and drawn in. There's some preconceived notions that pastors preach and teach, elders govern and rule. And so the question then remains, who cares for the people? Who comes? in the micro-shepherding of meeting people. There are also sometimes people who approach the church as in a, in, a, in a perspective that wants church to be done just their way. And so the church tries to offer a smorgasbord of different things that you get to pick and choose from. I remember there was a young college girl many years ago who happily boasted to me that she attended three different churches. She loved the preaching at one church. She loved the Bible study fellowship at another church. And she loved serving at her friend's church, which didn't have enough Sunday school teachers, so she served Sunday school there. And she was so happy how she was telling me, oh, man, I go to three different churches. And I said, wow, that's great. I said, when you get married, who's going to officiate? When you go to the hospital, who will visit you? When you have need for prayer, whom, you will, whom will you call? <laughs> if I remember correctly, I think she said, everyone, all of them. <laughs> but you see... Part of what we did today, just acknowledging the members of the, of the church, it's not joining a fitness club, it's joining a family, a family of orphans who have come together by the amazing love of God and have been made family members by the blood of Jesus. And we have a heavenly father and we have some who are older brothers and sisters, not necessarily age, <laughs> who are called to care for other family members. Membership confirms to us that you're a Christian. Just because you walk through the doors doesn't mean that you're a believer. We don't know sometimes who the people are. And so by your confession of your public declaration of faith, 
you've made a commitment and you've vowed and you've made statements publicly that you believe in Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins, that you come and are willing to become a growing member of a body of Christ. Together that we worship and serve and that we will grow this church in the glory and honor of our Lord. From the perspective of pastors and elders, I want you to know that sometimes it's hard because we can't shepherd a flock that is undefined. We can't enter a home where we're not invited, and we can't offer help when we don't know if, we're, if we have the recognized authority to do so. But there are times when someone wants to come and say, may I come visit you? And there are some people who say, no. And so it's the culture. Another is our time. The shepherds of the church, the pastors and elders have crafted a ministry to care and feed and grow the people of God. But sometimes we're so busy that we don't have time for the very things that will help us stay healthy and grow in our faith. Busyness is, is a struggle that so many people are facing in today's life. The weekend is no longer a time to take a break from work, but just to shift the kind of work we do, the homework, the kids' work, everything else that we do that keeps us busy. And it leads to what I call a survival mode. When I meet with couples who are in, in, in marital strife, when I meet and talk with people, they're constantly tired. We're, we're an exhausted society. And we're constantly trying to figure out ways to find rest and rejuvenation, which we don't know how to really do because people come back from vacation saying, I need a vacation from my vacation. So what's the point of the vacation? Do you know where to find real rest? What kind of rest? And if we're in survival mode, I promise you, it's really hard to think about the sharing the gospel with someone else. We're in constant need. We're constantly looking for some needs to be met. And we don't know where to fill them, so we start going into our culture, going onto social media, going into sports, just anything that will get my mind off of the stress of everyday life. And we don't know how to go to our good shepherd. And even if we did, do you find comfort there? How do we have a relationship with a person that you can't see and you can't interact with your five senses? This is one of the reasons why in our small groups we really want to encourage people to practice scripture reading, God speaking to you, prayer, you speaking to God, and serving. Why? Because if you eat and eat and don't exercise, what happens? You get big. You get unhealthy. And so, like Jesus, our purpose in life after really being shepherded and fed and cared for is to serve. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This becomes the very purpose statement of those who are his very own, that we have come to be so filled and so loved that we are now able to then serve others and give to others. As your pastors and elders, we want to see you grow. We want to make sure that the ministry that is in place will facilitate that growth. And we would love to see how you are doing in that recommended journey. The essentials class, for example, if I may bring it to your attention. We have essentials of, of 
the very truth of what we need to know of learning, and then essentials of living. We call it the essentials of discipleship, the essentials of following after Christ. This is so important that I actually spent about six weeks with my son who just started college, and I went over the essentials of learning, the essential doctrines that he needed to know and be assured in before he went into a, a, a arena of ideas and thoughts that will challenge his faith in Jesus. And, and, and I'm not saying this just because I'm a pastor and a teacher. I'm saying this because as one who has been given the commission to care for God's flock and to feed and to protect, part of that comes from the very understanding of who God is through his word and to teach. And to my sad report, can I say to you, that this class has been canceled several times for lack of signups. Our time, it's not because people don't want to learn and grow. It's because it's taught on the weekend and we're just too busy. But what will you lose if you're not prepared? Parents, what will we say to our kids when they come with these questions? This is one of several classes your pastors and elders have created to shepherd and to teach. The third is our reluctance. <clears throat> this is more on us as leaders. We don't want to be intrusive. We want to reach out and care. And due to the past examples, public and private, of those who have crossed the line of authority and title, many leaders are reluctant and sometimes careful, too careful, that we don't cross the same lines. And I want you to know, out of all those people who have crossed that line un unjustly and in an ungodly way, there are a lot of other leaders who haven't and who have been faithful. And we care about God's people. You know why? Because we too are the sheep called to shepherd. I don't want to gloss over this because I know there are some people who are sitting here today who have been hurt by pastors and elders and leaders of the church. There are people who've been hurt by the church so much that they're reluctant to come in. And part of that constant tension of, of, of this willingness to want to receive love but unwilling to give a freedom and space to do it is because of that pain and hurt. And I apologize on behalf of all the pastors and leaders who bear this title and responsibility. I'm sorry that the reality is that we are imperfect and we're learning how to do this. I don't say this to excuse us. I only say this because... None of us who have taken this title have ever felt worthy to be called shepherds of God's people. Lastly, in this culture uh, where the lead pastor is expected to be everyone's pastor, may I say to you very clearly, only Jesus can be everyone's pastor. I can't tell you how many times when an associate pastor comes to visit at the hospital or at a children's birthday party, they're asking, where's the lead pastor? How come he's not here? Because he's one person and he cannot be at all these different places. And I know some pastors who lead pastors who choose not to go to any event because they don't want anyone to feel special and other people to feel left out. That's sad. That's why I became an associate pastor. <laughs> 
I can go freely and people don't mind. <laughs> pastors have realized we need help. Associate pastors, other pastors, elders, deacons, and now deaconesses and shepherdesses. This is the first time in Christ Central's history where we are going to have appointed official leaders of women to come alongside us broken men who need a lot of help when it comes to shepherding. And I tell you, all the men were applauding and saying, praise the Lord, we need your help. And next Sunday, we get a chance to celebrate that growing team we call the shepherding team. They become the hands and feet of Jesus to care, to know, care, feed, and protect God's people. An article in Ministry Magazine entitled Shepherding is a Team Effort by Neil Silverberg, the president of Master Builders. He writes, for the most part, many clergy members misunderstand their function. I'm convinced that the traditional view of the pastor's role, what they do and who they are, contributes greatly to the fatigue of so many pastors' experience. What, I, what do I mean by the traditional view? It is the idea that one person should run the church rather than a team of leaders. In my opinion, it's a major cause of pastoral fatigue. Pastor Harold has experienced it. I've experienced it. Pastor Dinko will experience it. Anyone who's had to be that number one guy knows what the stress that is like. And we can't do it. We need a team of people. And so what is the task set before the shepherding teams? Two, to be his hands and feet and to be a reflection of his heart. The first one is to be his hands and feet. And just to outline for you for the sake of understanding what we're, what we're trying to do in shepherding, I want you to know the first one is to know who our, shepherd, uh, who our sheep are. And that is through membership through your attendance in our various ministries, we get to know and you get to be on our list so that we know. And through membership, you declare to us that we are here, you are here, and we are now given the, the privilege to be a part of your lives to shepherd. The second one is to care. And what's interesting to all our elders and deacons and deaconesses and shepherdesses and pastors, Paul said, pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock. He did not say that unintentionally. He said that because we need to be first, the first ones to sit. And by the way, may I say to you, you know who shepherds are? They're the ones who need shepherding the most. Jesus has loved us and shepherded us. And with that heart, we want to be what we, what the best we can. It will fall short. And so we're, we want to know how you're doing. We want to know how your life is going. Are you walking with the Lord? Are you worshiping the Lord? Are you in fellowship with other believers? Are you growing? Are you healthy? And maybe even to offer correction and even rebuke when necessary. But all this with the love of God and based on what Paul has said is the word of his grace. To feed and teach and equip with the word of his grace. The word of God is foundational. And not only to feed through the word, which Christ Central, I, I sit as one of the pastors, and I'm so blessed by every pastor, and I'm so thankful that we're committed together as a teaching team to present the truth of the gospel as clearly and as effectively as we possibly can. And finally, to protect the congregation and the sheep from false teachers and false doctrines is what we do from the pulpit, is what we do in our classes, and we hope our community of small groups will continue to be that family of believers 
who stand together. But here the central shepherding tool here is the word of, gra- of his, word of his grace. He says, I commend to you God and to the word of his grace. It's the foundation of what we do shepherding. It's how we teach. It's how we provide. It's how we care. It's how we protect. The word of grace will also grow and mature them. It's knowing God's word and then living it out so that it nourishes our soul like food turned into energy. The second thing the shepherding team does is to reflect his heart. There's a quote here that Paul gives of what Jesus said that is unique here. And he quotes him and he says, as Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now let's be honest. In reality, as we enter into Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's, it is more blessed to receive than to give. I don't find as much joy as giving gifts as receiving them. To give someone a plate of food as opposed to receiving a plate of food. But here what we're talking about is another kingdom economy. Like in Matthew 10, 29 where Jesus says, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is the bizarre twist of whatever this kingdom economy is. That in losing it you find it. And thinking that you found it you lose it. And in Mark 10, verse 29 and following, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands, with persecution in the age to come, eternal life. You know what Jesus is saying? We are not to live for the temporary, but for the eternal. We labor for the privilege to serve others. And this is the heart of our Savior, who though he was rich became poor, that we who were poor might become rich. And this word happiness, it's a sense of blessedness where, a blessedness that speaks of a fulfillment where we're no longer empty but full. And it comes when we see the beauty of what is eternal versus what is temporary. And this, my brothers and sisters, we are caught in a culture that highlights the temporary and wants to unhighlight the eternal. It is also to mimic the heart of our good shepherd. It is from this place that we too offer Christ's love and care for the church, first for the church, and then offer this gospel to a world that live like sheep without a shepherd. And church, at one time, you and I were like those who live each day like sheep without a shepherd. In Matthew 9, verse 35 and following, it says, Jesus went throughout the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Why? Because he's a good shepherd. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he turns to his disciples who will become his hands and feet, his voice. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Evangelism, ensuring the gospel and longing for others to come to know Christ is a ministry of the local church. 
And that's not the job of just the pastor or the elders. It is the entire ministry of the body of Christ. You are the ones who are meeting these people in your workplaces, in your schools, in your communities. And we as his people are called to be harvesters, to be fishers of men. We have a good shepherd, and his name is Jesus. The Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. He makes us to lie beside, uh, in green pastures and beside still waters. He restores our soul. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even if we walk through the deepest valleys of the shadows of death, we will fear no evil, for he is with us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. He anoints our head with oil. And because he does that, our cup overflows. And we can surely say together that surely goodness and mercy shall dwell with me all the days of my life. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That promise will one day come. In Revelation 7, verse 15 and following, it says, Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb is in, in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And if you want to know who they are sitting before this throne, in verse 14 it says, They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Those who have been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. It is in this together, my brothers and sisters, that you and I are called to remember, love, and seek after this good shepherd who chooses to love you through his local church. And hopefully that we can experience this together.